you might as well, because it's going to be a long one, boys. (laughs) Fresh out the oven, it's Cinema Bums. I'm Wade. And I'm Emmett. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises, one each week to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today we are continuing our miniseries, The Baz Batch. Covering every film directed by Baz Luhrmann, we will fully spoil today's film, The Great Gatsby, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series. Emmett, old sport, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, old sport. Just topping old sport, really. Um, (laughs) Really, it's well. It's quite well this morning, don't you think, old boy? But especially because we are joined by our our lovely guest, ex-roommate's Really, the person who went through it all with us in Atlanta, and when I say all, uh, the chess matches, the wearing gloves and obsessively sanitizing our hands while not wearing masks to the grocery store in the early days of COVID, all sorts of wonderful times we've had together. It is Kelly Lee. Hello. Old sport. Old sport. Welcome back, Kelly. Hello. How's it going? It's fantastic. Just the best time of my life. Wow, wow, wow. The best yeah. time of your life ever? <laughs> Being on this podcast? Yes. In this moment, wow. I cannot think of something I've had more fun doing. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> I'm glad that Emmett introduced you because I was going to call you our beautiful little fool. <laughs> I like both. <laughs> well, talk to me about Baz, Kelly. What is your history with Mr. Baz Luhrmann? I'm a big Baz girl. Big mm. Baz girl. I think I've seen... He hasn't done that many movies. Only six. Yes. I think I've seen all of them except for Australia. Okay. Sorry. You've seen Strictly Ballroom. I have seen Strictly Ballroom <laughs> once. Nice. I don't remember it that much, but... Moulin Rouge is truly one of the greatest films ever. Can't say that enough. Mm. I just like his stylization. I like his music choices. Mm-hmm. I love his love of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. I've recently aged out of the Leo dating pool, unfortunately. Oh, very sad. <laughs> it's really sad. Very sorry for your loss. It's turning 25 sucks. <laughs> That's how great of an actor he is, that he can pretend to be in love with <laughs> Carrie Mulligan, oh, even yeah. though she's older than 25 in this movie. She was, Yeah, that's his greatest feat. But um, yeah, like Romeo and Juliet, beautiful, everything. Did you watch them like growing up or? Um, like in high school. So mm-hmm. yes, I, mm-hmm. I think uh, Romeo and Juliet, I probably saw when I was like 13 and then Moulin Rouge shortly after. And then this came out when I was, I think, a freshman in high school and also very big fan of it. Yeah. He's been a love of mine for a minute. Of ours, too. Today we're talking about The Great Gatsby, released May 10th, 2013 by Warner Brothers. This is first film not with 20th Century Fox. Uh, moving over to Warner Brothers. Emmett, did you see this in theaters? When is, when is the first time you saw this? The first time I saw this was like the past 48 hours when I just watched it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think, wait, wait, when you say this came out? 2013. In what part of 2013? It was May. It was, it was right either right as we were graduating high school or right as we were about to graduate high school. 
I feel like I had other things on my mind. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll get into what any of that might have been, but this is the first time I saw it. And at the time, I was definitely aware that it was coming out. And I had also never seen the other version of this movie from the 70s, but that, that I believe stars Robert Redford. Mm-hmm. I think I just read the book like a year or two before in high school. And I was always like, oh, it's kind of the perfect book. Why make a movie of it? You know, like it's it's kind of the book says everything you want to say, like in as concise a way as a book possibly could. And it's like basically already just the hits. So I was like, why? What's the point? But then people love it. So I guess that's the point. I don't know. I saw it for the first time in like the past moments. Wait, did you see it then when it was coming out? Yeah, I saw it sometime in 2013. I'm not sure. I don't think I saw it in a theater. This is the only, well, I'll I'll say the other Gatsby adaptations here in a minute, but this is the only experience with anything Gatsby I have, was watching this movie 10 years ago and then watching it again now. Like, I, I didn't read the book. We didn't have to oh, read well. it in high school for whatever reason. And I feel like, to your point, Emmett, like, a big part of my reaction to watching it this time was just being like, this is such a good story. Mm-hmm. Like, not knowing the story from everything else, I feel like I'm going to sound like a plant for high school English teachers. But I really was just like, no, this is such a good, like, (laughs) plot. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's so many twists and turns throughout the entire thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is the fifth film directed by Baz Luhrmann. It was written by Baz and Craig Pierce, his writing partner, back together after Craig was not involved in Australia, having written all his other films. It is based on the 1925 novel, The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. It is the fourth film adaptation. Whoa. After a 1926 version. What? Starring Warren Baxter. (laughs) A silent film, which is lost to time, apparently. You can't watch it anymore. There was a 1949 version starring Alan Ladd and the 1974 version starring Robert Redford. And then this, and right now, apparently Apple TV is making an animated version since the novel became public domain last year. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, has anyone seen any of the other versions? I saw the Robert Redford version in my high school English class. And you read the book too. I have read the book as well. How does the movie stack up to the book? I think they're very similar because of the way... And there's obviously like differences as all book to movie adaptations go, but using Nick as the narrator helped keep a lot of the language the same. Mm. And like those like catchy poetic phrases. I don't remember as much in the Robert Redford version. I also watched that in like chunks over like three English classes. So yeah, couldn't tell you how good that movie was. What about you? I mean, how do you feel like this compares to the book? Okay, so the caveat here is that I read that book in probably like 10th or 11th grade, and that was the only time I ever read it. But to my memory, it's like a very faithful adaptation. And just like Kelly said, like so many of the great phrases from the book are preserved through this weird framing device, which isn't quite there in the book in the same way. I mean, in the book, it's just being told from Nick's perspective, right like yeah yeah but it doesn't have the the device that he is like so horribly racked by it and like in an in an institution and like having to write it out it's just like he is just writing it out yeah yeah he's just writing it out 
I guess that's supposed to activate it a little. I, it feels very much like very similar to the Moulin Rouge thing to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an interesting tie into earlier Baz work to kind of have that juxtaposition. I didn't even thought about that. It's also an interesting stand-in for the audience because a great deal of the audience, because so many people read this, do read this in high school, a great deal of the audience like knows the general outline of what's going to happen already like knows this is a tragedy going in so like i feel like tipping the hat to it there is not like the worst all of like you say like all these crazy plot elements wade like how this thing just has like a nutty progression of things is like all straight from the from the book Mm -hmm. as well one specific moment i was wondering about is because in the movie there is a moment where he reveals he like tells us gatsby's backstory Mm -hmm. like the the true the truth about Gatsby, basically. And he's like, he would tell me the last night of the summer that this happened. And that would be the last time I ever saw him. And that's like halfway through, like far before that actually happens in the plot. Yes. And I was wondering if that sort of stuff is in the book too, like the same sort of foreshadowing and like impending doom. I believe that we find out like about Gatsby's past, the very end of the book, you meet his real father he comes to like his funeral Hmm. it's like very brief but it's at the end of the book from my recollection i also feel like there's more stuff between nick and wolfsheim at the end there where he's like dealing with him after gatsby's dead and like trying to figure out the truth about who he was there at the end right and that's when he meets the dad Yeah, yeah yeah okay i seem to remember that that like wolfsheim being more of a character character in that instead of like this just like foreboding presence in the background yeah as he is in the film yeah he has that one scene where it feels like he's about to be a big part of the movie and then that's the only time you see him i think yeah something else that this made me think is about how we remember baz's movies as like these stylish energetic thrilling romantic things Mm -hmm. but all of them except for Strictly Ballroom, end with like 10 minutes of being like, then everyone died and everything was horrible and the world <laughs> yeah, is hopeless. Yeah. Like they all have downer yeah, endings. Yeah. It sounds like even Australia had a downer ending that they removed. Yeah, that they didn't reshot to be like, everybody miraculously survived, yay. Yeah, yeah, but this kind of feels like Moulin Rouge and Romeo plus Juliet where it it ends with him being like actually everything was horrible and there was no hope yeah i kind of like it i kind of like it too i think he pulls off like opening this with like the black screen and the green light and ending it with that too i feel like he yeah he nails that sort of like haunted quality just in those moments also like all of this is crazy too because you said what the even the movie of this came out in what 1926 yeah, a year after the book, the first movie. So even that movie doesn't have the perspective on this that even like five years gives it, which is that all of this is happening right on the precipice of the market crash and the Great Depression and like all of this crazy stuff to come for the country for like years of turmoil. Or if you're like dealing with this book from the future vantage point, like having like looked back at the past you know, 80 years of of American history since then, then it like gives you this really other sense of like foreboding doom as well, because you know, like what's right around the corner. And you can signal to that with both in like the imagery of like the ashes and like all of this crazy, all of this crazy stuff. So I'll sound like a high school English history plug as well. <laughs> I mean, I think you get a little bit of that in this movie with like 
how they have to drive through the depressed area to get yeah. to the two yeah. rich areas. Uh-huh. And, like, all of the drama with the people there. Mm-hmm. This is a fun fact for you. Okay. The party scenes are said to be based somewhat off of Fitzgerald's time in Asheville at the Grove Park Inn. Oh, Because his uh, wife, I'm not sure if she was at that point, but she was in a mental institute in Asheville, and she died there in a fire. Wow. That's so (laughs) sad. Fun fact! Turns into a downer once again. Yikes. Welcome to the Great Gatsby. My sole knowledge of like the personal relations between Zelda and F. Scott Fitzgerald comes exclusively from the movie Midnight in Paris. So like take none of what I'm about to say seriously. <laughs> but didn't they have a somewhat troubled relationship? They yeah. did. Uh, and isn't there like some alcoholism on probably both sides going on there? I mean, it, this is something that stands out in this film is like the constant consumption of alcohol by everyone. Oh, and then Joel Edgerton in the role of a lifetime here. Like, truly great. Hayden Gatsby for, like, importing alcohol. But they're all, like, it's all illegal still, and they're all still drinking it. Yeah. They're getting hammered on this filthy, cheap booze. Crazy. The thing that I remember hearing in English class about the Fitzgeralds is that Zelda, like, decided late in life that she wanted to be a ballerina like way past when you can actually do it and basically Uh just like destroyed her body and her mind like trying to become a ballerina in her like late 30s that's insane people also say that zelda is the one who actually wrote the books oh interesting that he took her writing and published it himself wow 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 who's to say if that's real but Historically, men like to take things from women. Not not everyone. Men are good sometimes, too. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> oh, that's very true. You don't have to... Uh... I was just wondering, I don't know. I feel like there's not a lot of insight on Daisy, and I feel like there might be more. That's true. If she had, but that's not to say she didn't. Yeah. What do you make of this Nick character and like, is he a character? Is he a protagonist? I we've we've become embarrassed this question, as Wade has said recently. But who is the protagonist of this movie? I also was wondering that because when I was reading the questions on the email, I was like, is it Gatsby or is it Nick? Mm-hmm. But mm. I think Nick is the protagonist because Gatsby's almost like this like god figure that Nick has like kind of an obsession with. Not an obsession, admiration light obsession yeah that he's like not ever really real almost there's like a few moments when he like kind of cracks but i think for the most part he is like the persona he wants himself to be yeah i think it's definitely nick because we don't even meet gatsby until like exactly 30 minutes into the movie yeah and we have like nick both in the present in the framing device and like narrating this whole thing yeah and i think he makes the choice at the end but that was also kind of a surprise to me because it's called the great gatsby and the poster is just leo's face you kind of do think that he's the lead but then watching this i was like oh he's it's not actually really that much about him Uh, but i feel like all of the acting stuff is between leo and daisy what's who's carrie mulligan carrie mulligan playing daisy 
and Joel Edgerton, just like acting his ass off yeah. in every in every moment of this movie. He's so good in everything. He's the most underappreciated. I feel like, I, yeah. And he has so many different, you know, like he'll he'll pop up as Owen Lars in Star Wars. He'll pop up as Falstaff in The King. He'll pop up as the bad guy in Red Sparrow. Like he just sort of does it all, and he's always so good. Yeah, incredible. To backtrack to a slightly earlier point you made, Emma, I do agree that there is not that much about Daisy in here. Mm. I, well, I wasn't sure if that was from the book, and I also feel like, do you kind of need that for like the ending to work? Mm. For this sort of twist ending of like, actually, she didn't love him. They left. All people with old money are evil. Like this kind of like heel turn at the very end. Yeah. I think it's more complicated than that. And I think that like painting her as a villain in that moment is exactly like the thing that having some deeper insight on her would not do. <laughs> and then would like also make this more sad, you know, like if the answer, like if you're, it's leading towards like tragedy, it's still the events of the book still happen. But I just think like, I, I don't know. I think there's all that crazy stuff in that scene in the apartment where she's like, I love him too. Like I, there's more than one thing going on. If I recall in the book, I think you meet her daughter actually. Mm. And I think you see her be a mother. It's not like a ton, but I feel like you see you have her be a mother. I feel like that adds a whole nother layer. And like, she I means she has a kid with Tom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is a whole thing why she, another reason she would stay with Tom. I felt like that was part of what Baz was doing in this movie, though, because you hear one reference to the kid at the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. Nick asks her about the kid. But then the only time you see the kid is when they're leaving town at the very end after, Uh like, the reveal. So I thought that that was kind of part of Baz's thing was being like, you kind of thought you knew this person, but actually she belongs to this like higher world that you can never be a part of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she like has this whole, she like, she is a mother. Like there's these whole other things about you have no idea about her. Mm. And that just sort of comes into focus after Gatsby has like completely lost her. Yeah. That's interesting as well. And I feel like the tragedy that it leads to is basically him thinking that he did get her in the end. But when it's actually Nick calling, like Nick is actually the person who cares about him. Yeah. That felt to me very much like the Romeo plus Juliet ending too, where like, yeah, they have like the one final false realization before they die. Basically. That is super sad too. And especially like the idea of Nick being the only one at the funeral and like trying to get everybody to come after everyone's like slandered his name in the papers. In the book, if I recall. There were two other people, his father's at the funeral, and that allied dude who was in the library. Oh, the old dude? The old dude who's in the library when him and Jordan uh, are like, who is Gatsby? Oh, oh yeah, I do remember that guy. And he's there too? Yes. Huh. I don't remember why, but he is. Nobody loves a zoom in on a newspaper headline more than Bass. Yeah, for real. <laughs> that is in all of for these real. movies of like major <laughs> events being told in a newspaper headline. Continuing on, the score for this one is by Craig Armstrong, returning from Romeo plus Juliet and Moulin Rouge. It runs two hours and 22 minutes. 
It was made on a budget of 190 million, the biggest of Baz's career, up from 130 from Australia. And it had a box office of $353 million worldwide. It is still his highest grossing movie at the box office. Um, and I believe I was reading Hollywood Reporter article too that said that it did turn a profit. It was very critically divisive at the time, which maybe we can talk about a little bit. It sort of was and maybe still remains like a love it or hate it kind of movie. It's got a 55 on Metacritic compared to Australia's 53. So they're the two lowest of Baz's career. And at the Oscars, it won the two categories it was nominated for, Best Costume Design and Best Production Design, which were both won by Catherine Martin, production designer for all of Baz's movies, and his wife. Uh, She also won both of these for Moulin Rouge, and she was nominated but did not win for Romeo plus Juliet and for Australia. So at this point, she's got four. He's got nil. Yeah, right. That's crazy. <laughs> That's nuts. Yeah, and he was—he has never even been nominated for best director. He was nominated for best picture. That's absurd. Yeah, I'm pissed. For Mulan, he was nominated for best picture. But that is my question: like, why do we think that the Academy views Baz movies as like craft only? You know, I mean, and not to not to say that. Like the costuming and the production design is incredible. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And deserves it for sure. But like it all serves this a, a bigger picture. And I think the movies themselves are, yeah. He's the one who like takes the production and costume and like uses it and does. I think he does it phenomenally. Especially, especially with Romeo and Juliet and, and Moulin Rouge. Yeah. Like Moulin Rouge, especially as something that he wrote and directed this whole like crazy vision and then like kind of manifested through a bunch of different artists i think and you're not gonna at least toss some credit to the person who like planned it all yeah nuts nuts that's a movie that holds up 20 years later yeah it's still mind-blowing i well i can't believe he's never been nominated i didn't know that yeah start a petition but also excellent, incredible work on costume and production in this movie. Like those party scenes are insane. And yeah. Like the dancing. And I feel like this movie takes its time in the shots more. Like there's not as much of that rapid cutting. Mm. So you really get to observe like the whole decadence of the party, which is really exciting. Yeah. I feel like this movie does a better job than Australia of like keeping the bad style, but updating it to be like a little more palatable and like more of a modern movie in that sort of sense. Mm -hmm. I I mean, they did release this in the summer Mm -hmm. positioning it as like a blockbuster instead of like an awardsy movie prestige movie. Also, I think that Leo should have been nominated for this. I think that it's one of his best performances. I agree. Oh, it's so good. He is unbelievable in this movie. He turns around at the part, like, (laughs) <laughs> the like when he turns around at the party uh-huh. like that is like uh-huh. the most <laughs> 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 <It's> iconic <laughs> like i don't even need to see any more of him in the movie like that little <laughs> smile he gives with the little champagne glass rays oscar <laughs> oscar worthy I and mean, he's great in the rest of it but <laughs> The funny thing is that I remember 10 years ago watching this in Romeo plus Juliet and being like, oh, he's so young and dreamy in Romeo plus Juliet. 
and he's so old and Gatsby <laughs> and watching them now and being like, oh, he's so young and dreamy and Gatsby compared to how he looks now. Yeah. And like how great of a performance it is. It's so good. You know, if you want to read the tragic love story of it all, it's the love story of Nick and Gatsby. I agree. Like Tom and uh, Daisy and all the rest of them are just like plot complications that are happening on the sidelines. And like, that's the tragic arc there. If you're because you're right, because like it's about Nick calling to see if he's okay and him thinking it's it's Daisy calling and the false realization at the end. I think that makes sense textually. I'm not sure if old Toby is exactly playing it that way. Well, he is and he isn't. Because let's talk about it. We haven't even Toby, mentioned him 30 minutes no, in. We haven't mentioned that Tobe M.F. McGuire is in this movie acting possibly for the first time in his life. And it is a wonder to behold. He acted in Spider-Man 3. <laughs> so he did he acted a fool <laughs> yeah it's a weird left turn for spider-man 4 but i think he's pretty good in it nick isn't the most like dynamic character in the world so he does great at nick it's a much better role like suited to his strengths than yeah. uh-huh. say spider-man <laughs> yeah than say your friendly neighborhood spider-man for sure. Because you can believe Toby Maguire is this weird guy who sits in the corner and is just kind of like watching everything yeah. that's going on and not talking very much. Okay, but that is like one of the things that stuck with me the most in this movie is when Joel Edgerton is like, you like to watch, I remember that from college. Like, yeah. whatever yeah. weird sexual thing is going on in this movie. And yeah. then there were also points where I was like, is Toby playing it like he is in love with Daisy too? Yeah, sometimes. And that's the deal is that him and Gatsby are both in love with Daisy, even though she's his cousin. That's the 20s. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's the one who walks in and like sees her in slow motion, like tangled yeah. in the drapes, a la Romeo plus Juliet. Yeah. And then when she comes to his house, she's like, oh, are you in love with me? Which, like, just personally is not something I would say to my cousin <laughs> if they invited me over <laughs> to their house. But what if your cousin had a just room full of flowers <laughs> when you entered the house? It still wouldn't be where my mind would go. <laughs> I'd be like, all right, who died? <laughs> there is that There is that thing. And also, is, is I mean, is it his close cousin, like his first cousin, or is it his you know, second or third cousin, and they're rich people, so they have to, you know, marry. Keep the inbreeding. Yeah. They have to keep the inbreeding in so that they can keep the money all in. in the yeah. Same, you know, in the same joint bank accounts. And did he spend college watching her and Joel Edgerton have sex? Well, it wouldn't have been her and Joel Edgerton. It would have been whoever Joel Edgerton was with in college. Yeah. Presumably. Right. Because they have only been together for like, what, five-ish years? Their little girl looks like she's eight yes. and they've been married yes. for five years, but we don't need to, we don't need to get into that. Yeah. I have that exact like that, that, that girl is like a, is like a full kid going to school and they've been married for like maybe four years. So I don't know. Also like when they mentioned the girl at first, she's like, she walks and talks and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So like, I feel like that's like a fresh baby. 
Yeah, yeah, that's like, like yeah, that's and, how, a half. <laughs> and then you see her and you're like, oh, she also does a part time shift at McDonald's. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I think that Toby is really good in the third wheel scenes. I think that uh-huh. is like the best stuff from him is when he's sort of palling around with the two of them and mm-hmm. just kind of being like something seems off here. And he's like awkward, awkward, funny in the background. I feel like that is his best performance stuff. I also think, but what is this? What is this thing? Like, I don't know. Why is Gatsby always like bringing him along too? Like, why does Gatsby want him there also with the, in that, like this long, beautiful scene where they're like going through the house and he's throwing the shirts down on her. Mm-hmm. I feel like. Tom is, like, the first, like, real friend Gatsby's had that is, like, not wanting something extra. And he's like, wait, mm-hmm. I actually like this dude. He's not just trying to, like, use me for my money and stuff. Like, because, like, earlier Tom's like, oh, it's a favor. Or it's, like, something he's, like, for a friend or something like that. And Gatsby seems, like, shocked by that answer. Like, he doesn't, like, want money or anything. He's just like, we're friends. Like, I'm going to do you a solid yeah. So I feel like him, he's like, wow, I actually have like a real person who cares about me, not for my money and what yeah. they can get from me. So I feel like that's probably why he keeps him around. He's like, these are the only two people I trust in my life, which Daisy didn't do him right by that. But even that he says, you know, no one has ever been invited to one of Gatsby's parties, but like every single person in the city shows up except yeah. uh-huh. for Nick, who lives next door. And Gatsby has to, like, send him an actual invitation to get him to come and talk to him, you know? I feel like he is not behaving in the way that Gatsby is used to people behaving. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that he does genuinely care about him, too. I think you get that from Leo's performance in this movie, at least. I don't know how it is in the book. I feel like Gatsby has big feelings, obviously, towards Daisy, but I think he does, like, he's not just, like, a cold, callous, rich person yeah yeah well and i think that's part of what they they're trying to illustrate with his like rising through like helping this guy and like rising through like going over and being a war hero and like doing all of that sort of stuff him being like kind of selfless and like actually living the american dream that everybody was talking about especially at the time of like you know kind of rags to riches then it turns out the only way that you can get like that filthy rich is of course by doing some sort of illegal illegal dealing yeah yeah and then of course he's mixed like mixed in with organized crime eventually like and that sort of stuff which is why he's always getting calls from all over the country last thing i wanted to say about the oscars is that extremely rude to lana del rey yeah to not get a best original song nomination for young and beautiful was that written for this movie yes it was wow wow that's incredible still a bop it is. It's one of the best like song to movie matchups I feel like we've had and yet no nomination. I think it is probably her most popular, famous, well known song. But also like it holds up today. It's not just like doesn't feel like twenty thirteen. I listen to that on my drive to work. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's here are the other nominations from that year. I just look them up. The winner was Let It Go from Frozen. A pretty stiff competition. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Adele Dazeem. <laughs> Adele Dazeem. Um, you've got Happy from Despicable Me 2 by Pharrell. <laughs> and then you've got The Moon Song by Karen O from Her and Ordinary Love by U2 from Mandela Long Walk to Freedom. No, good God, please. <laughs> please. 
What? So I think that Young and Beautiful should have slipped in there, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, wow. Incredible. Emmett, we've just arrived at the summary, although I feel like we've talked about a lot of the plot. But are there any moments, I guess, you want to mention here? I want to talk real quickly about this, like, mirroring thing or, like, this, like, double cross thing where Tom is sleeping with the wife of the guy at the gas station that you have to pass as you go through the wasteland between the rich part of Long Island and downtown Manhattan. Presumably, that's the neighborhood you now live in, Wade. Probably. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) But I think there's this really interesting thing where, okay, so he's sleeping. So Tom is sleeping with Myrtle and that guy's wife. Daisy is going to maybe be cheating on him with Gatsby. So there's like several sets of people who are either being cheated on or cheating on someone else. You know, there's like a lot of that going on. And there's like this interesting play of like Daisy knows that Tom has, is like sleeping around but he always comes back to her. That's his justification. And like, she's going to leave and go with Gatsby. Gatsby feels as if he's been married to her the whole time, which is like, obviously some crazy thing that he's cooked up on his own, but is, you know, like meaningful to him in some way. And then Tom is all messed up because Daisy ends up killing the woman that he was sleeping with, cheating on her in the car accident. And then the guy thinks that Gatsby did it and goes to kill Gatsby who is the one who is endangering Tom's relationship and then kills himself. So like Tom and Daisy are actually like back together, each having in some roundabout way been responsible for the death of the other one's lover, lover cheating person. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. I like think that's a really like interesting pattern that's going on in this plot. And you like see it all kind of get set up in the first chunk. How There's like all of these different like moving pieces that are connected to each other. And then it like crashes together at the end in a literal car crash. I don't know. I think it's pretty wild. Also, like as a literary device, I feel like the car crash had to have been a pretty recent invention. Oh, interesting. Yeah. When he wrote this, because like cars were not mass market items until like right around that time in the early 20s. Right. So if you were writing about it, I don't know how many car crashes would have even been like used as like the explosive conclusion to a thing before. So reading it then must've been like, especially wild. That's interesting. And like, especially this like ties into this whole Denny thing of like Denny saying like, now that's the most common trauma to like most 21st century, like North American citizens is like some sort of car crash is like the most common thing that we all share of like, traumatic experience and it's like thinking about it like putting it here in like a time when it would have been something exclusive to like the super rich and like like a bolt of lightning hmm. i don't know that's a little bit what baz was talking about with the music with why he hmm. puts so much hip-hop music in here jay-z is a producer on it too but he was talking about how like the novel is all about like jazz and the jazz age and now when we think about the roaring 20s we think about jazz but he was like at the time that was just like modern street music. Mm-hmm. And it was actually kind of like controversial whether or not like people liked that form of music. And mm-hmm. it, it was just like the modern thing, mm-hmm. even though we think of it so much as being like the thing of that time. So that was sort of his thought was being like, what is the modern street music that you can update it with today in the same way to like evoke how jazz must have felt at the time, I guess. 
That's crazy. Oh, I wrote a paper on that in college about the music specifically in this movie and how Whoa. I read it last night. It was not the most mind-blowing paper you've ever um, <laughs> read, read by a 19-year-old Kelly. But um, no, but I, yeah, Jay-Z, uh, I talk a little bit about him in that paper. It, I do think that's like super interesting that it's like to a modern audience, jazz is like boring and I'm not everyone. I enjoy some jazz. Wow. I wow. like jazz. Um, but... Jazz found dead in a ditch after yeah. Kelly <laughs> fatally murdered. Um, but using, yeah, using like Jay-Z and like, I don't know if this is in the movie itself, but I know it's on the sound. I like loved the soundtrack when I was in high school too. But yeah, like No Church in the Wild is. Yes, it's. That's so yeah. good. So good. And like, I don't, all the music is like phenomenal. It's like very much approachable to audiences currently and what we actually enjoy listening to day to day. Yeah. And I think that it does a good job of being like, this is how it felt to listen to jazz at the time. You know, I think yeah. he does that with Elvis too, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a, a couple of weeks, but like there isn't actually that much of Elvis's music in Elvis, there's a lot of like Doja Cat, and he's being like, "How you feel listening to Doja Cat is how a 16 year old girl in the 60s felt listening to Elvis." <laughs> like making those, interesting, <laughs> making those comparisons. That's fascinating, but that is, but like that, that is it. Like that, that's that's the thing. Everybody's always going to be pissed off by the music from the generation after them. Like that's just, <laughs> yeah. that's just like the inevitable cycle of, of human development. I was just reading a book that I think was written in like the early forties. And there's a character like, like musing to himself, thinking about music. And it was like, nothing since 1928 has been any good. And I was like, <laughs> amazing, amazing. All right. This guy's really into stuff like from 1919 to 1928 <laughs> and everything since then for the past 15 years of his life has been garbage because it's when his prime was and he's like yeah that's all i have to say about plot mm. they're born ceaselessly into the something or ships into the night something like like ships <laughs> 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 that pass in the night and speak not to one another i believe or something yeah but it's a real downer of an ending what do you think about that what do you think about romantic tragedies downer endings where were we as a society in 2013 that we could handle a downer ending like this i was much happier <laughs> okay that was another one of my thoughts watching this movie is like when is it gonna be party time again like when <laughs> will we get yeah. to the part where like we are in the era that is defined by just having a lot of parties and having fun because that is what i would like we're not going back there <laughs> Hey, do you remember that one year that we lived in Atlanta before all the hit the fan? That was it, bud. I wasn't there yet. I know. You missed it. It was fun, Kelly. The three times I came and visited, it rocked. Laura was like, you know that this led to the Great Depression. And I was like, I feel like I have only lived in the Great Depression. Like, yeah. I, like a little bit of the party time, too. Yeah. Were the 90s really that fun? Is that is that what <laughs> happened? Did we, like, is that, like, come on. No, everyone was just angsty. 
Uh, I was three. Good times. No bills. <laughs> Kelly, flop yes. or bop to Absolute the Great bop. Gatsby 2013? Absolute bop. Um, this is genuinely one of my favorite movies ever. I've probably seen it 10 to 15 times in my the last 10 years. Whoa. I enjoy it a lot. I'm a big Leo fan as well. So, And I think Carrie Mulligan is phenomenal as well. Hmm. I think she just has a broad range as an actress. She is so like soft and like, I love the music. I love the stylization. Absolute bop. I think it's my f- second favorite Baz Luhrmann. Hmm. After Moulin Rouge. It feels like the closest to Moulin Rouge with the same sort of like big party yeah. and musicality. Yeah. How about you, Emmett? Flop or bop? It's a bop for me. But I'm not as wild about it as I have been about some of these other ones. I think it all works. I think my my main issue with it is just that I, having already read the book, I, you, like you know what happens. I think it draws out a little bit. And I feel like I wish there was more of that snappiness that there is in Romeo plus Juliet and Strictly Ballroom where it's really concise and gets the point across. This is a very short book. I don't think it needed to be a two and a half hour movie. That's that's my qualification. But wait, flop or bop? A bop for me. I, I loved rewatching this. As someone who hadn't read the book and had pretty much forgotten everything about the first time I saw it, except for like the visual images. Mm-hmm. Like I remembered when he sees her for the first time in the flower room. I remember that someone died in a car crash. I remembered them like racing through the streets in the car. That was basically all I knew about this going in. And I think that it has like such strong source material. And I felt like it was the most consistently entertaining Baz movie that we have watched so far. Mm. It kind of goes back to like the Baz structure we've seen before of like, you've got a little framing device, then you're like doing the movie at two times speed for a while. But then I think even when it gets serious, like, I think because of the strength of Fitzgerald's plot, that stuff works for me more than it does in Mm. Moulin Rouge or even Romeo plus Juliet. It slows down to give you that like big scene, 10 minute scene in the apartment where it's like the four of them going back and forth. And I feel like that's like maybe even the best scene in the movie. I agree. That is one of the best. When we got there and there was still an hour left on the clock, I was like, oh no. Like, what is going to happen? But I feel like he manages to keep up the pacing and there is enough to get through in the whole end that it is, like, consistently fun to watch that the whole thing. What's crazy is it doesn't feel, like, when I watch it, that does not feel like an hour. The rest of the movie feels like 20 minutes. Yeah. And I I liked to, as you were saying, Emmett, how there is so much of his other movies in here, like, You've got the framing device that is taken from Moulin Rouge and you've got the energy of a lot of the others. I think there's something interesting in Gatsby's whole thing being about repeating the past Mm. and in Baz calling back back so much to his other movies. I mean, I also kind of wonder, like, when when I was doing my research about this, I was looking for the quote where Baz was going to be like, I read this book when I was six and it stuck with me forever. Or like, uh-huh. I saw the Robert Redford movie, it was my favorite movie. Or or something like that. And I couldn't find, like, anything. Uh-huh. I found, like, all this stuff about the technical stuff, but I couldn't find him talking about his relationship to the source material. Huh. And I just wonder, like, 
I mean, I don't want to like psychoanalyze. I just want to say like, we know a little bit about Baz and we know that he's a showman. So like, does he relate to Gatsby? Like, is that his thing in this movie is Mm. like seeing appear in like the rich man in the tower who like wants to put on a show for everyone else and like has these secret deep desires. I don't really know. Hmm. Oh, interesting. That just feels even down to when um, there's one shot of Gatsby's gate and he has this like big crest on it. And all of Baz's films start with like his crest, you know, is like uh, a life lived in fear is a life half lived or whatever. Uh-huh. And it made sense to me both that Baz and that Leo like are really tuned into this guy. It definitely makes sense that Leo is tuned into this guy. Yeah. I feel like his performance here is just unbelievably good. I don't know. I feel like he's he's got a lot going on. He knows whatever is going on in that guy's head, even if you don't. I feel like it's the best performance of his adult era. Mm. You've got Shutter Island. Mm-hmm. You've got Inception. Mm-hmm. J. Edgar. J. Edgar, directed by Clint Eastwood. I'm sure a very sensitive, nuanced approach <laughs> to that man and the things he did. You've got Django Unchained, which I also love. I think he's great in that, too. That it's this and Wolf of Wall Street in the same year. Wow. And Wolf of Wall Street is definitely the one I think he's most remembered for. He wins for The Revenant. He takes four years off. He does Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Don't Look Up. And that's it. That's the whole last adult era of Leo. Wow. I feel like I've seen like half of this. Yeah. I watched The Revenant, unfortunately. It's so dumb that he won for that and not for... For acting? Yes. <laughs> he won he won for going on like the most stupid like survivor reality TV show. Yeah. And won an Oscar for that and not for the acting that is on display in what this movie or Wolf of Wall Street yeah. or Romeo Plus Juliet or What's Eating Gilbert Grape. I mean, screw it. Probably Inception and Shutter Island too. I'm sure he's doing great work in all of them. Yeah. Catch me if you can. He's a consummate professional. He's just excellent. Inception is also a movie kind of about a guy like constructing a dream palace, you know? Yeah. Like also about a a man like desperately trying to construct his own reality and like hold himself together. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he's so charming in this. And like that's what he should win for, you know? It is for something that plays to his strengths. Mm-hmm. I also feel like he's kind of our de facto like leading actor i guess i think of him as like maybe almost by default like the best most prestige leading man Uh but i think then when you watch something like this like you see why like he's not phoning it in he is so committed to it yeah well let's talk about some of the other performances mvp otp other than the protagonist so we're gonna say other than toby mcguire I'm sure was on the top of everyone's list. I have love for, I I am not joking. I have love for Tobey Maguire in this film. I think he's doing more than you give him credit for in this movie. And I've never thought that about him ever. No, I think it's good too. I mean, I thought that this movie was like basically a masterpiece. And I feel like that Toby does not mess that up in the lead role. Uh, He's pretty incredible, right? Yeah. I do wonder why he was chosen as Nick. Like, yeah, I just feel like there had to have been other choices. 
There had to have been at least two other choices they could have gone with. It's funny because I saw a ton of different casting for Daisy and Tom. Like, it seems like the casting of those roles was really thorough. Yeah. But it seemed like it was just, like, always going to be Leo and Toby for whatever reason. That's super interesting. Didn't he do a TV series that was well-regarded in between Spider-Man and this? Toby? Yeah, didn't he do something called... It's not Babylon 5, which is the thing that I'm thinking of, but it's ba- it's something mm. about Babylon, and he, he is like an oil magnate doing something. The Spoils of Babylon? Yes! That is right after this, is when he does Oh, that. okay. Just kidding. He was... Maybe that's when he was getting into his, like, serious movie era. I feel like somebody who looks like Tobey Maguire, but is not him, Daniel Radcliffe would have done a good job at this. Mm, I don't know how old he was in that. I think he's a little young. There is the movie from a couple years later where Daniel Radcliffe is playing like the beat poet and that's sort of the same thing. Yeah, he plays... You guys remember what I'm talking about? Did he play Allen Ginsberg in that one? Yeah, it's one of them. Yeah, he is 14 years younger than Tobey Maguire, so... Also, Tobey Maguire is almost 50. Fun fact for everyone. Kill Your Darlings. No, it was the same year where he was playing Allen Ginsberg. That's a good movie. Yeah, I remember liking that movie. And that is basically like what the role should be here too. So yeah, I think that's a good call. Oh, interesting. He would have done well in it. Yeah, Dane DeHaan's in that too. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, okay, so other than Toby, and I'm going to say other than Leo in the spirit of the question, who is everyone's MVP for this movie? Kelly, you have first pick. Um, can I ask a question about MVP? Yeah. Is that who we think is the best beyond those two? Or who do I, who's my favorite? Or can I give an answer <laughs> for both? <laughs> you can give an answer for both. I think it's more who is your favorite, wouldn't you say, Emmett? I would say it's more who's your favorite. Yeah, it doesn't have to be, certainly doesn't have to be the best acting other than other than the leads. All right. I liked Isla Fisher as Myrtle. Oh, okay. Hell yes. Yeah. I would love to play that part in <laughs> any war- world. <laughs> where uh-huh. I love her. I like her. Like, she doesn't like the New York jazz thing, which is, you know, <laughs> my love. Which is your thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, okay. <laughs> I think we could have done with more of that Zadie accent mm. throughout. So you know what the great Gatsby needs is more Myrtle. <laughs> more Isla Fisher playing Myrtle. Yeah. Baz in the editing room being like, oh, a little more Myrtle. <laughs> I think she's so, f- it's a fun, she's great. I don't know. I enjoy her chaotic, whatever she's doing. <laughs> She's an actress who I feel like I don't really know that well, even for seeing in a few movies, you know? Yeah. You see her all the time. I've been in love with her (laughs) since I saw her in Hot Rod when I was like 15. I was like, this is it. Smote. I just watched Hot Rod for the first time a couple months ago. Oh my God. It's a classic. Classic. So good. Wade didn't like it, did he? <laughs> no, he <laughs> silence says a lot. <laughs> um, 
I don't want to get canceled for this opinion. Um, I actually kind of did like it, but I thought that Andy Samberg was really bad in it and kind of not in the same movie as everyone else. That was my hot take about Hot Rod. I'm actually leaving this Zoom call. (laughs) I was like, everyone else is committing to this bit in the same way, and Samberg is like weirdly under playing everything and like I think he's balancing it out but that was me I'm sure that if I watched it at the right age I would have loved it that's yeah Emmett who's your MVP uh my MVP is gonna have to be Joel Edgerton as Tom I think this is a real bastard of a character when I read the book I hated him and obviously he's like pretty much the villain of the piece in some ways Joel Edgerton, he delivers on that aspect of it. And like, you still hate this guy, but he does like, you do see like some of where he's coming from as well. Like you just understand it's, it's more dynamic. And like that last scene, like is all the better for having somebody who like you do sympathize with on some level in it. Oh, I I do think he is incredibly charming at being such a terrible person. Yeah. And it's like, I hate him, but I also like, you kind of want his like approval almost. Mm-hmm. And also this, there's this whole funny bit where they're at the party and he's like, I don't want to be introduced as the polo player. Mm-hmm. I don't just want to be that, which is kind of a funny insecurity for him. It's interesting that both him and Toby's reactions to Gatsby's world are like, Oh, this is a bit much, but in different ways, you know, mm-hmm. Both of them are kind of overwhelmed and, like, not really into the whole thing. That's true. But his seems to be coming from, like, an old money snobbery. And Nick's is more from a working class humility, one might say. Yeah. As if there were themes going on. (laughs) Imagine. Every once in a while. On this podcast. (laughs) You look around behind the corner and you see some little friggin' themes have just crawled in. (laughs) What are you doing here? I thought I told you to stay far away. Oh, wait, who's your MVP? Uh, My MVP in this movie is the great Elizabeth Debicki. Oh, my God. As Jordan Daisy's friend, other relation. I guess probably not another cousin. I guess she's just her friend. She's her friend. She's her golf-playing tall golf playing friend who doesn't talk much but seems inexplicably to like nick i think she brings such a great energy she has that like flirty gossipy energy she's sort of figuring out what is going on i really like the performance but mostly i just want to say that elizabeth debicki is six feet and three inches tall (laughs) and baz gets that (laughs) You know what I mean? Baz understands that that is a very special thing. And even in this movie, with $190 million budgets, sometimes the greatest special effect of all is just putting Elizabeth Debicki next to a very tiny Tobey Maguire and having them dance together. Sometimes that can be the most (laughs) visually dynamic thing on screen. There's a seven-inch gap between the two of them. I um, just love watching her. 
her on screen. I'm going to stop talking about her before I overwhelm myself, but I think there's just okay. something very special. Wade's love of Isabet Kikiwiki has been well documented before. <laughs> And we need no more need be said about it. But uh, wait, do we have anything else we need to talk about before you give us our very strange and difficult quiz? Uh, yeah. So, well, I do just want to mention too that we talked about Baz not just as repeating collaborators, which he does here with Leo, but also like being a good discoverer of new talent, and he did. He did bring Elizabeth Debicki into this. She was an Australian actress. She had only ever been in one thing before. Apparently her first time leaving the country was to audition for this film. Wow. So that is another Baz original there, basically, putting her on the scene. The other thing I wanted to talk about is that this film was shot in 3D. Let's all cast our minds back to 2009 to, say, 2016. Uh I'm sure we all remember the 3D movie craze. Yeah. The vast majority of movies that were released in 3D were post-converted, which is basically just a film that was shot using a regular 2D camera. And then someone went in after the fact and like decided what to pull forward in the frame. But there are a few, honestly, only like a handful of movies that were actually shot in 3D. And most of them are animated. I mean, I'm thinking The Adventures of Tintin with Spielberg, Hugo by Martin Scorsese, Avatar, of course. But there are actual 3D cameras, which is what Baz shot this entire movie with. So it is one of the very few movies in general, but even more rare live action movies that was actually like made to be watched in 3D something like this and like avatar like it is shot with 3d as like the primary way you should be watching it and then converted to 2d from that footage after the fact which is the version we watch now and i definitely like felt it watching this movie especially the beginning like it feels very much of that like 3d era i feel like that works for baz's style and vibes doesn't take away from it now like being like oh this was 3d once i think it still adds to the style I feel like you don't hear him get credit for like doing good stuff with 3D, but I actually feel like watching this, I was like, no, he kind of gets like what's exciting about it. Yeah. How to use it in like different dimensions and stuff. This brings us to the end of our discussion about Great Gatsby. Kelly, do you have any final thoughts on Baz's Great Gatsby? I do have one final thought. When Myrtle is hit by the car at the very end, love is blindness a version by Jack White is playing mm-hmm. that has like stuck with me forever. It also introduced me to Jack White and the white stripes. Wow. Two things that I love a lot now. So I appreciate Baz Luhrmann for including this version of love is blindness. Cause I'm sure I would have found the white stripes eventually, but it really has impacted my life a lot. Mm-hmm. Genuinely. <laughs> it's a great soundtrack. I mean, you've got the Florence playing earlier too. Yeah. They've sort of weaved Young and Beautiful into like the actual score. Yeah. You've got the Beyonce at the one part. I think the XX song over the end credits is really great too. Mm-hmm. The soundtracks changed my life for a little bit. I think it's the best thing about, maybe not the best thing about this movie, but top two things about this movie. What's the other one? Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. <laughs> 
Emmett, final thoughts? I think it's a really well-crafted adaptation of the classic. I think it's so funny that so much of the conversation at the time was about like the use of like modern hip hop music, because now watching it's just like, yeah, like that makes sense. That doesn't even like you don't even bat an eye at like those two things going together, watching it now for the first time, Mm -hmm. especially when you have like Radiohead over Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Anachronism is the name of the game. Why would you be locked into choosing stylistically from one era when you are trying to like do something that is supposed to say something about anything that matters to current people, you know, (laughs) really well done. But it's also just like kind of hilarious that that captured so much of the attention at the time. Yeah, I agree. Wait, do you have uh, final thoughts? My only final thought was that I really like the idea that like there's that moment where he's talking about Gatsby's like fixation with getting things back to how they were and like repeating the past and like being with Daisy again. And Nick is that moment where he's like, you're not nostalgic for being in that relationship. You're nostalgic for who you were when you were with her. I just thought that was like a really powerful idea and very, Mm. very well said. And it sort of got me thinking like how much of memory is remembering like being with someone and how much of it is like remembering how you felt when you were with someone or how... Or like what you did at the time, you know, like who is actually like centered in your memories when you're thinking about the past. And I feel like there's some interesting stuff below the surface. And I'm glad that Baz chose this like occasionally clunky device to actually get in so much of Fitzgerald's prose like into the actual movie. Because I feel like that stuff is really powerful too. Mm. A big appeal of the book, I would imagine, is like hearing the actual language. And I think that Baz kind of gets that. Oh, for sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, now it is time for a favorite part of each and every week, our <laughs> quiz game. Bub's the word. This week, I have nine movies for you to guess. I'll give hints, and we'll see who can guess them first. These movies all take place in the Roaring Twenties. Okay. Nine movies set in the 1920s. I discovered that a lot of movies you think of are actually set in the 1930s when you think of like jazz age, gangster sort of movies. Mm. So these are ones that are all actually in the 20s. Amazing. Starting off, the first film is a 2011 French film. It won Best Picture at the Academy Awards that year. It is a black and white silent film about... Is it The Artist? That is correct. It is The Artist. Film about Hollywood in the 1920s. Film number two. This is a 1959 comedy. It stars a very famous actress. Is it Singing in the Rain? It's not Singing in the Rain. It's a good guess. Um, It stars a very famous actress and model. I feel like it's remembered as her most popular film. So that's sort of, I think, firstly why people think about this movie. But it is a comedy about men who cross-dress. Some like it hot? That is correct. (laughs) 
That is correct. Some Like It Hot starring Marilyn Monroe. Have either of you seen that? No. I love this movie. I've seen it at least three times. I think I watched it in high school, again at School of the Arts at some point, and some other point since, I think, as a reference for some play that I was working on. Hmm. Uh, just for like that kind of slapstick, broad comedy. Mm-hmm. A true classic, and it's also a true classic of behind-the-scenes drama as well. Yeah, I was just reading that it led to the uh, demolition of the Hayes Code because it was released without approval. So interesting stuff there, too. Okay, our next film is a 2002 musical. This is another film that won Best Picture. Chicago! That is correct. (laughs) Wow! (laughs) Nice work. Uh, Next up, this is a 2011 drama film. This is by a very canceled director who had a very long career. And this is sort of seen as his, like, basically his best movie post, like, the 80s. Is this the previously mentioned Midnight in Paris? (laughs) It is. (laughs) It is. I was shocked when you mentioned it earlier in this this, uh, recording. Woody Allen's Midnight in Paris. I mean, it says it's about Owen Wilson and Rachel McAdams, so it's got to be pretty good, right? Unfortunately, this is a really good movie. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. Like, he basically goes back in time. He's he's living in our age, or in the age of, like, 2011. He's a writer, and he thinks that the golden age of writing was Paris in the 1920s, and he basically goes back in time uh, when he's, like, with his fiancée, and then... You know, in classic fashion, stuff goes down and wildness ensues. This is the movie wherein I learned everything I know about (laughs) Zelda and F. Scott Fitzgerald's personal relationship. It's also where I learned that Salvador Dali looked a lot like Adrian Brody. And that Ernest Hemingway looked a lot like that one guy who you've seen in every show but just can't remember his name. (laughs) You know, in that new uh, Marilyn Monroe, speaking of Netflix movie, which I do not want to watch, Blonde, no, don't. that Adrian Brody is playing Arthur Miller. And what? I've seen pictures of him and it looks pretty good, too. And I kind of just want to like look up those scenes on YouTube or something. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. Oh, God. That's nuts. Tom Hiddleston was F. Scott Fitzgerald in that movie? Yes, he was. Wow. Yeah. Next up, this is a 1976 musical. It is a English film, a film from the United Kingdom. It is a musical telling a sort of uh, gangster story from the 20s. And I think the conceit here is that they're all played by kids. Even though they're adults, it's like a bunch of child actors playing adults in a gangster story. Wait, <laughs> is this a, is this a real thing? This is a real thing. I have heard the title of this, which is the which is a name, and I had no idea that this is what it was about. Okay, wow. I <laughs> wow. I have no idea, Kelly. Do Can you we have get any a first love? <laughs> first letter the first letter sure is b <laughs> i hope that narrows things down for you <laughs> the title is the name of the character who it is about 
The film tells the story of the rise of this character and their their battle for power with Fat Sam and Dandy Dan. (laughs) I got nothing. (laughs) I got nothing on this. This film is Bugsy Malone. No! (laughs) (laughs) That can't be real. Bugsy Malone. The tagline on the poster is... Every year brings a great movie. Every decade brings a great movie musical. (laughs) Bugsy Malone. (laughs) I I don't disagree. (laughs) Okay. um, Next up, I think we got four more. Next up is a 1992 biographical film. This is a film all about famous comic actor a famous silent film actor and it's uh, I, uh, mm, is this a charlie chaplin movie? it is that's chaplin uh yes and it is called just chaplin so i will uh, give indeed a point to both here directed by richard attenborough and starring robert downey jr as charlie chaplin that's stunning information <laughs> on all fronts. <laughs> I would also say this is fascinating. It says it features Charlie Chaplin's real life daughter, Geraldine Chaplin, playing in the film his mother, Hannah Chaplin. Ooh, weird. Yeah. That's really weird. Truly weird. I think we need to start naming people Geraldine again. <laughs> I think it's time to yes. bring it back. I think it's time. Geraldine. <laughs> Okay. Well, you pioneer that with your children, Kelly, and see how <laughs> see how they like it. It's Chester and Geraldine. Just Chester and Geraldine. Next up is a 1967 musical. It is starring Julie Andrews, and no, it's not that one or that one. Oh wow! <laughs> it's not Mary Poppins or Sound of Music. No. And it's not the other one either, because I had forgotten about Mary Poppins. <laughs> it's also not My Fair Lady. Whoa, I didn't even think of that one. What is, what, what is, ni- the, you said, what year did this come out? Sorry? 1967. 67. And it's a musical? Based in the 20s? Yes, it takes place in the 20s. Thoroughly Modern Millie. That is correct. Yes. Wow. Well done, Kelly. Forgot about her. Well done uh we have two left and right now emin is one point ahead of kelly so it is still anyone's game uh this next movie is another biopic this is from 2004 it is directed by martin scorsese and it stars leo dicaprio the aviator that's correct whoa wow okay what is that movie about because i always saw it in movie stores when i was a kid and i was like that looks intense but i can't handle it it's about i don't know his name he like howard hughes howard hughes his severe ocd severe and it wildly disturbed me that's all i remember about that movie he says something with planes okay yeah it says he's an aviation pioneer and it is about his time becoming a film producer while growing more unstable due to severe OCD. I've heard of Howard Hughes before, but I didn't realize he was also Leonardo DiCaprio and Violet. 
his toenails or nails get like very long at one point in the movie because he won't leave like the little room where he's like watching this like film that he made Yikes. and it's uh, i okay. don't recommend it that's all i have to say the final film on this quiz and indeed the scores are tied right now final film is a 2005 drama it is adapted from a famous 1937 novel novel i had to read in school this movie was written by susan laurie parks and stars halle berry as the lead it is based as i said on a 1937 novel which is considered one of the uh, most prominent novels that came out of the harlem renaissance although the novel is set in florida in the 1920s oh, it's their eyes are watching god that is correct <laughs> that is correct Emma. No. Well done. Their eyes were watching God. I didn't even, in truth, know there was a uh, movie of this. I didn't either. That's is that crazy. a Zora Neale Hurston book? Yes, it yeah, is. Okay. So good. And Susan Lurie Parks wrote the screenplay. So? Uh, yes, and it's got Ruben Santiago Hudson in it too. It's the male no lead. Kidding. So there's a lot of theater going on there. Huh. Well done to both Emmett. You won this week in a oh. very tight battle. Ooh. Thank you so much for being here again, Kelly. Of course. Yes, thank you, Kelly. You're worth the whole damn bunch put together. All of them. I'll just start crying there. I was going to go into jazz. Uh, anywhere the people can find you online, Kelly, on anything you want to say to them before um, you go. My Venmo is... <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Text me for that. <laughs> Are you going to say your phone number? <laughs> the home address as well. Not my home address. I don't know. Follow me on all Kelly Rebecca seven. Phone number eight two eight. I'll do that. Uh, <laughs> real phone number. Oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, I'll bleep it. I'll bleep Incredible. It <laughs> Incredible. Wonderful uh, um, having you Thank on. you guys for having me on one of my favorite movies. Thank you for being on. You're one of our favorite guests. <laughs> you know what? Stay frosted. Just like the glass on that windshield was after Isla Fisher smashed into it. Yeah, that's right. It's another downer ending. The death is a little bit Zack Snyder. That's the only bad thing I have to say about this movie is like the slow motion pearls flying. <laughs> woman dying Body desaturated colors <laughs> yeah it is a little yeah. bit Baz Luhrmann Zack Snyder's Justice League's yeah. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcast it is created and produced by Emma Temple and me Wade Lawrence Holloman I also edit and mix the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week 